If you would, uh, turn to Revelation chapter 7. I'm looking at two verses here. I know you just stood up and you just sat down, but, but we have an, an honor that we do of God's word. And I just ask you to stand with me as we read this together. Verses 9 and 10. This is uh, the Apostle John was given a tour of heaven in a vision, and this is what he recorded in some of what he observed uh, here out of chapter 7, and is a picture of what took place around the throne of God. In verse 9 in chapter 7, he says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Pray with me, will you? Father, we want to thank you for your, your presence with us here this morning. I thank you that your word tells us that um, every one of us in this room is on your mind right now. And, and you tell us that you're pursuing each one of us and a heart and a relationship with you that honors you and pleases you and, and fulfills us. And Lord, I thank you for your commitment at seeking us and drawing us into relationship with yourself. And Lord, we look forward to a day when we'll be with you present in heaven and without the constraints and confinement of this body and this life. But Lord, we thank you for your presence now that we have a taste of heaven, a taste of what it will be to worship you. But with a multitude that can't even be counted, uh, Lord, what a joy that will be for us. We pray, Lord, this morning for uh, Pastor Mike and his family, that uh, you would grant them a good rest and joy in you and a deep sense of your presence today. And may we experience that for ourselves here as well. And I, I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the text uh, that we're looking at here this morning um, is a picture of a day that's coming uh, who all who have uh, recognized their need for God's mercy and forgiveness and have acknowledged uh, Jesus uh, and his death in their behalf uh, will all gather around his throne and uh, celebrate his grace and his mercy, his majesty and his presence. Um, now, I have to tell you that I have a hard time sometimes uh, inside getting all excited about this. Now, I can in my mind, but down in my innermost being, heaven feels like a long ways away. And it feels a bit abstract to me because I'm so wired to this life and this body. Now, I don't like this life and this body at much of the time, and what I read about heaven sounds really attractive to me. And when I contrast it with the descriptions of hell, that's an easy decision. But, but I come down and I say, I, I am wired here. And there's a, a statement that I picked up, uh, a thought that I picked up in my high school days, uh, only a couple years old in my faith, and that I only have one life, and that it's temporary. There's an end to it. And the quote I picked up was this, 
is that only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And that has marked me in my entire life. I said, I know I only got X number of years, and I don't know what those are. I try really hard to make it shorter, but he keeps letting me live longer. Uh, and, uh, but I, I look at this and I say, Lord, I just want the breath that you've given me in my lungs to honor you, to be pleasing to you, to be useful to you. And um, although I wander from that commitment, that's still my point of reference and has been all my life, and it's been the source of joy and confidence and peace and excitement in living. And uh, there's a, um, a verse in the scripture that's uh, akin to, to this statement. It's found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Uh, I have it on the screen here for you. And uh, this verse parallels the perspective of only one life, um, and it's a call to all of us. Um, Jesus was in conversation with his disciples and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Let's not bear your burden, but die daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is it a a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I live in a culture, in a society, uh, not only here in Orange and Orange County, but in our country, and really as I discover and travel all over the globe, that we're all scrambling to to gather enough to meet our needs and to provide a, a certain degree of security and stability in our life, and, uh, and that we can live at ease. And if we find some abundance, we just want to gather all the more because that provides us some more security. Uh, welcome to another illusion. Uh, you know, I just my life is only with a breath in my lung today. My employment is, is only my employment today. I don't know what tomorrow is. And, and I talk about a wake-up call for America this last couple of years. You know, where's the stability? Where's the confidence? And he says, unless I find that in Christ, unless I understand that this life is temporary and what's permanent and eternal is my life-soul relationship with the Lord. And that's where my security is. The one who provides for me out of his riches and glory. The one who's always constantly thinking about me and caring for me. The one who is leading and guiding and providing wisdom. That's my security. That's my life. That's my source. All these things marked me in my high school years. It was only two months uh, after having come to faith in Christ as a junior high kid that um, I read in the newspaper uh, about some men who were in Ecuador. They were missionaries, and they had been killed. And I thought, how tragic. And I had just come to faith, and it didn't didn't make me scared thinking, Good grief, is this what happens to Christians? You know, but I, what was in my heart and mind was, I said, why would anybody do that? I'd experienced the taste of God's goodness. I'd, I'd, I experienced what it is to know God's forgiveness and a, and a degree of freedom. And when I read the Bible, it opened up to me and it came alive and it was exciting, even Ecclesiastes. And, and, I, and I'm reading through this and, and I'm going, why would anybody kill somebody who's coming with that kind of message? that kind of heart, that kind of compassion. But they did. 
Well, it was about two years later that uh, the wife of one of the men wrote a book, Shadow of the Almighty, or Through Gates of Splendor, excuse me, it was the first book, Through Gates of Splendor, uh, Elizabeth Elliot. Her husband had left a journal with a quote that uh, comes out of the thought of Luke 9. Uh, Jim Elliot was a senior at Wheaton College. He was 22 years of age when he penned this. It was in 1949. And uh, the Wheaton Archives has his journal, and I picked it up on the web. And he said this on October 28, 1949, one of the great blessings of heaven is the appreciation of heaven on earth. He says, an Ephesian value. And I said, now, now this I can connect with. If I understand what Ephesians tells me, what I have in relationship with the Lord, that that's my touch of heaven here and now. It's my relationship with him. And what I look forward to in heaven is being with him. But in the context of looking forward to eternal life in heaven, present with the Lord, he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And when that came out, I was... um, but I would have been a uh, sophomore or junior in high school when I read the book. And um, I said, that's where I am. Lord, that's my call. My life is yours, whatever that may mean. It was only six years after he penned words that his life was taken in Ecuador by the very people he was seeking to bring Jesus to. And what's even more remarkable about this is the wives of the men who were killed continued the mission to go to this tribe. And today, they're all believers in Christ. Today, the gospel permeates the Aka village. And they've extended out to other villages and to other people throughout the jungles. And yet it came through the sacrifice of these men. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses it for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Well, I had to come to this context in contrast to looking forward to being in heaven for eternity. Because I'm here and now. So in the context of heaven and the context of here and now, let's go back to the passage we just read in uh, Revelation chapter 7. And I ask the question, who is worshiping around the throne that's pictured in these verses? Who are these people? Well, one, they're a great multitude, more than what can be counted. And they're from every nation and from all tribes, people, and language. So who are these people? And I thought, good grief, there's 195 countries in the world, depending on who you, uh, who's counting, but um, who declares they're a nation today. Uh, some are in limbo right now, but about 195 nations in our world, they're all going to be there. And then I did a word study, which is something I have a habit of doing. I went back and I looked at nations and, um, and tribes and people and tongues. And I'm going to show you what I found. Uh, the word nations... Is, um, is the word uh, ethnos in Greek. And it means a race or an ethnicity, not a country. It's not a political geo, 
uh, boundary that we understand of 195 nations. But it's, but it's, a, uh, it's a race of people. An ethnic group. And then I looked at the, the second one there, it's the, the tribes, and that's a clan or a family. And then I looked at um, the uh, people, and it's a simple word, a people, or peoples. And then I looked at the, the word for tongue, and it's a language. It can be the tongue, but it, it's usually used for, for a language. And so what I read then in the text is that there'll be a great multitude which no one can, can count, from every race or ethnic group, from every clan and family, from every people, and from every language group. That's who's going to be gathered in heaven. I thought, hey, that's going to be kind of cool. Now, I'm a, a mixed breed. I'm, I'm half German and half Irish by, by heritage. But my name's German. And so if I went that route, I would say that I am by nationality Germanic. Um, it, I'm of the Trenner clan. And um, I'm Anglo. And German is, would be the language of my people. Um, just to give you a feel for how I see that. And, but uh, I come down then and I ask the question then, how are all these nations going to be gathered around the throne? All these nations, tribes, people, uh, tongue. Uh, how are they going to be gathered? How is this going to happen? How are they going to get there? And I just want to say they're going to get there the same way that you and I are. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We're going to be in heaven around the throne celebrating, worshiping God because we believe that Jesus is God's son sent by the Father for us, who offered his life for us. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 um, verse 11 says, He came unto his own, but his own received him not. He came to the Jews, his own people, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Have I received the person of Jesus and what he did for me on the cross? Have I received his gift of his presence in me and life in me? Have I been responsive to what I know about the gospel? That I find myself separated from God, needing his forgiveness, his mercy, and find it demonstrated in Jesus as he offered his life in my place on the cross. Have I received that for myself? Do I believe it and have I received it for myself? And when I do, it says I have a right to be called a a child of God and I've been born spiritually you can find that some more as you would uh, read in John chapter 3 earlier in, in, the, in the chapter uh, in the conversation with Nicodemus. There's a spiritual thing that has happened in me when I've placed my faith in Jesus and what he did for me. I'm born spiritually. I was dead spiritually, now I'm born spiritually. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, and it says this, and the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. See, these, these passages from the book are your and my promise that we're going to be there in heaven and around the throne celebrating 
And it's the same path that anybody on the face of this globe must walk, embrace, to find themselves in a relationship with God. So I ask the question, then how will the nations believe? How will they come to know? And I'd like you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I'm trying to just think about how far I want to take here. Let's begin in verse 1. Paul is talking here to the Romans, and he's talking about in reference to the Jews. And he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that is the Jews, um, for the Jews is for their salvation. My, My prayer is that they would come to know the Lord, that they'd come to know Jesus, the Messiah. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Now, Carla and I have had the opportunity to travel globally. We've been in a lot of cultures. We've been among a lot of different nations. Uh, and there's just a whole lot of people who have a zeal for their idea of God. But it's without knowledge. It's out of ignorance. And I'm not saying they're stupid. I'm not saying they're ignorant people. They just don't know. They don't understand. They're people who have not heard. In Cambodia, in a conversation with a man in the street, uh, have, have, you ever heard, uh, if, have you ever heard the name Jesus? No, who is he? Does he live here in Battenbaum? Never heard. They have a zeal. They follow the Buddhist structures of the country. They give their offerings. They live in fear of the spirits. But here Paul's talking about the Jews in verse 3. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Every religion of the world is built on a righteousness of their own making. I'm right, I'm right in Islam. I'm, I'm right in Hindi. I'm right in Buddhism. By how I live my life, my place and position with God in any of those religions is determined by my keeping the rules. That's even true here in America for a whole lot of people. And I say what Paul's saying here and saying specifically to the Jews, there's a righteousness that they seem to embrace, but it's based on their own, their, their own righteousness. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The coming of Christ ended the law in, in, it, in its requirement for us to be called righteous. Because Jesus and his death on the cross satisfied the requirement of righteousness. He paid the penalty of death on our behalf and has then the right to declare us righteous based on his sacrifice. Verse 5, For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. You want to live under obligation? Then you're obligated. 
But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, who will bring Christ down, or who will descend from the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. Don't, the faith does not say there's something I'm going to do to get God to pay attention to me. But what does it say? What does faith say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That is, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction between the Jew, the Greek, or any other nation. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now catch Paul's challenge. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher, somebody to tell them? And how will they preach? How will they go and tell them unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So the only way the nations are going to gather around the throne, every nation, all tribes, peoples, tongues, is if they hear and believe. And they're not going to hear and believe if someone isn't there to tell them. You know, for years of my life, I always pictured somebody in the far off darkest of wherever as the people that are focus of this, in, in my mind, this is the focus of this passage. How's it going to go? And Lord, send me. I want to go. I want to be there. I want to tell them. And it's only probably been in the last 10 years um, that I've become aware that I don't have to go any further than about 20 feet. I can go to my neighbors, people I do business with, the clerks that I know, the waitresses, the waiters that I know, friends, acquaintances that I meet in the context of, you know, in my years being pastor and now just being Ed. I meet people. And they live in just as much darkness as people who live in the far corners of Neverland. And that doesn't, it doesn't negate, it doesn't make less the need to go to the entire globe. But all I'm saying is, can I live my life fully aware that I am in a body that is temporary, but I am eternal, and I live in the presence of God, and I am his ambassador. I'm going representing him in my world. That they may join around the throne in worship of the Lord. Can I be conscious of the fact that I have the words in my mouth and in my heart and in my mind, that I can speak them. And I don't have to get up and preach. I can simply just be me. I'm using myself as an example, and I'm saying this can be true for all of us. Just be me and live my faith. 
I can speak hope to people that are, that are in discouragement about something. I can say, I can offer, I'm, you know, I'm going to pray for you about that. And they're going, oh, 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 okay. And I said, I just, I pray often, and I just, I just know that God hears, and I know, I know that he knows you, and I know that he cares about you. I know he's interested in you and your life. I can share those things, because they're true. I can tell you that in an adventuring conversation, I can say how much God loves us, that, that uh, he became one of us, one of his own creation, and his son Jesus, and lived here on earth. I mean, he's a historical person. I've got to deal with that. Uh, lived out 33 years here in life and did things, said things. And it gives me opportunity to communicate the gospel. What is my hope, my trust, my faith, simply out of having conversation? And I've learned if I think in my mind, it isn't that I have to deliver a, a, a goods, certain statements that I need to make sure I deliver, and they've got to embrace that. Uh, I find it's a whole lot better in my mind if I think of what I'm doing as planting seeds. I drop a seed of faith. I drop a seed of confidence, a, a seed of hope, uh, a seed of reason that, that God is. Uh, and I plant seeds. And God's word doesn't return void. It opens up more opportunities. And uh, uh, I ride my bicycle. I'm still upright. Uh, and, and I ride around a corner where we had an accident. Remember right there in that corner, slipped in, in the water? A guy that lives there in the corner, his name's Gil. Uh, three years ago, I think. Um, I was riding by, I wasn't in a hurry, and he was out front watering, and I stopped. How oh, you do this, Ed? Uh, I just stopped and I said, hey, I really like your yard. It's beautiful. You really take care of it. And he does. And he says, well, thank you very much. And that got us into a conversation. His name's Gil. And uh, we got into a conversation. He found out that I was a pastor. And, um, and he says, my wife goes to church, but I'm not much interested in that. I said, really? Why is that? And that led us into a conversation about uh, he'd come up in a Catholic background and just didn't have much interest in this, in this church thing and stuff. And I said, well, I said, evidently your wife has found something that's been meaningful to her. You might ask her about it. Well, the next week I rode by. He was out there again. I stopped. I said hi, and I made some other comments to him. Uh, and and, um, and uh, about three weeks passed, and I went by again. He says, hey, Pastor. And, uh, just call me Ed. But he just said, Pastor. And I stopped, and he says, uh, I just wanted to tell you, you'd probably be pleased. I went to church with my wife. I said, really, was that for her or for you? And, uh, and he said, well, that's why I stopped you. It's, I understand now why my wife goes. And uh, I've asked Jesus to forgive me and to come into my life. And I'm going, all he did was stop and compliment him on his garden. You see what I'm saying? It's simple what we can do. Here or when we travel anywhere in the globe. Be friendly. I come down and I say, how are they going to hear if we don't open our mouth and we don't go? Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. End of uh, time Jesus had with his disciples, he came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Well, that's how they're going to get to the throne. Because we go. 
make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Got to say it, you know my sandwich. The commandment to go was sandwiched between all authority belongs to Jesus. What do I have to fear? And lo, I am with you always. So I always drive or walk. I don't fly because he didn't say hi, I'm with you always. But uh, okay. I just had, I had a groaner there someplace. But here, I want you to look at this with me. Our world today, in the context of the nations, Joshua Project, uh, which is headquartered out of Pasadena, the U.S. Center for World Mission, they've done research, and they've looked at all the nations, they've looked at all the population of the globe, and under criteria that they've identified, they, they have identified 16,309 people groups or nations in our world. And of those, 6,631 are unreached. Now, unreached for them means there's less than 2% evangelical believer. Less than 2% in 6,000 people groups of our world. Less than 5% are Christian adherents, which is a much broader definition of uh, what is Christian. So there's a world that has yet to be reached. Jesus, uh, in answer to the question, when are you coming back? In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. We've got work to do. We live in a temporary body, in a temporary life. We're responsible for how we live it now before God and for one another and for ourselves. But do I live it in the context that this is temporary and God's called us to be on mission in our world? Remember the story in, in John chapter 4, and it says uh, there's a... Um, Jesus uh, normally would, uh, from Jerusalem, would travel uh, east down the mountains to the Jordan River Valley and travel up to Galilee. It's about 75 miles, something like that. But it says in the, in the, in the scripture that he must travel north through Samaria. So there was something that was a requirement in his, from his perspective that he had to take the mountain route rather than the valley route. And that took him through Samaria. And in the town of Sychar... Uh, which is uh, near the present-day town of Nablus. Uh, a lot of, in the West Bank, a lot of trouble there. But um, uh, he met a woman at the well. Um, and that well's still there, by the way, at least they say that's the well. And, um, and, the, uh, uh, and the disciples went on into town to get lunch. They were hungry. And Jesus was there at the well, encountered the woman that was there. And, and you can read the story there in John chapter 4, that... Um, uh, in the course of that dialogue, she came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And she went running back into town to tell everybody about it. And the disciples then came back at, with lunch and says, hey, we have lunch for you here. And, um, and said, what were you doing talking to that woman anyway? <laughs> and, and Jesus says, I have food that you don't know anything about. My food is to do with the will of the Father who sent me. And then he said this, 
He said, um, uh, do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are white unto harvest. God has already prepared the hearts of people. He prepared the hearts of the, of the Samaritan woman. And he's already preparing the hearts of people that you know and meet in the course of your day. Of our, seven of our people that are in Cambodia right now, and God has already prepared the hearts of the people that they're going to encounter. Nate, people prepared the hearts of the people you were going to meet before you even got there. Grace, yeah. God prepared the people of the hearts before you even got to Peru. Nancy Waddle just got back, you know, from her trips in Great Britain, and, and people prepared the hearts. The, the fruit was already ready for harvest. God's at work. Can I go in my life with that perspective rather than believing everybody's opposed to what I have to share? Nobody wants to hear what I have. I have to persuade them. Can I go with the confidence that God's already been at work in their heart and I can simply live my life and my faith openly before them? And just maybe they will ask me for a reason for the hope that lies within me and I can give them an answer with respect and gentleness? Well, my problem is um, I can't sit still. I, I fill my life. And then I don't have any time to do the things that I know God wants me to do. And then I feel badly that I'm not what God wants me to be or I didn't say what I needed to say or I didn't spend time with who I needed to spend time with because my life is full. How did my life get full? Well, everybody's expectations, things they want me to do, and this and this, you know, and I got to do this. I have a choice. Now, this is a confession. If I simply started my day or ended my night by saying, God, my life, my day is yours, will you lead me in what I do before I make a decision to fill my calendar? Give me a sense. Remind me of things. Remind me of people. Teach me from your word. And just see what might happen with my schedule if I did that. Now, hold me accountable. I asked, and I've done that before, and very few have. I promise not to hit you if you irritate me. But our problem is we can't see past our own comfort, our own security, our own will, what we want. So I ask the question, how can we add to the worship that's going to happen around the throne? How can we increase the numbers of the nations who gather there? I have three things I'd recommend to you that we can do. The first is this, is that we can pray. Uh, uh, Colossians Chapter 4. Verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up 
for us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul, of all people, is writing to this little town, Colossae, that's a house church, and says, will you pray for me? That I can speak like I ought to speak, that I can have boldness, that I can have clarity in what I say. We want many to make a difference in the world. We can pray for those who we have sent. That God would give them boldness, that God would give them clarity, that God would open doors for them to share. We can pray for them. We can go with them. We have 21 missionaries uh, that, that we're a part of financially out of the church, and many more that aren't a part of the, the, the structure we have of mission here in the church. But do we pray? Do we pray for them? We can. And Paul says that's going to open doors for him. And it's going to open doors for those that we have sent. Uh, Grace Brethren International Mission. We, we are a Grace Brethren Church affiliated with uh, 270 some churches around the country. Nearly 3,000 churches around the globe. We've always been fairly mission focused as a group of people. Small here, great out there. But, um, and I'm working for them at this point with churches here on the West Coast and setting up teams and trips and trying to connect and I can't help myself. Uh, uh, walked into Nicaragua and, and, and now we have three Grace Brethren churches in Nicaragua and we have people going down doing training uh, twice a year. There's just a lot of stuff that's happening. I can't help that. Um, uh, I have a connection with Indonesia. I don't know where that's going to go at this point but there's just a whole bunch of opening doors that are coming there and you may be a part of that or at least I may give you an opportunity. <laughs> but the, uh, 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 there's something that you can do that if you want help in praying. Uh, there's, um, Grace Brethren International Mission has a daily email that they send out called Pray Now. And in it, they have current prayer requests. This was last week, Stephen Deb Wise. And these were the prayer requests that they put up on that day. Today, by the way, is Tom and Mary Ann Barlow. Uh, and and it's that you, can, you can get the email. It's no big deal. It's easy to read, and you can delete it you know, when you're done or do whatever you want with that. There'll be people that show up in a given day that you don't know, but if you're inclined to pray, they're at work you know, on behalf of the Lord. But this is something that you could be a part of to help you pray. Um, it's easy to get to. Uh, it's gbim.org. takes you to the website. And one of the tabs is prayer. Click on prayer. And then there's two options there. One is to sign up for pray now. Click on that and you'll start getting it on a daily basis. And if you want to quit, you can stop it. But that's one tool, resource, that could be available to you in praying. Um, In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, um, you can pray that people would go. Uh, Jesus was saying to his disciples, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Um, Back at the um, uh, International Mission Center, the IMC of uh, Grace Brethren, uh, at 10.02 every morning, everybody stops and prays that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. 
And I thought, what a cool thing. They, uh, they put it in their palm. Uh, they put it in their, their, their cell phone. They put it in their, in their watch alarm. They set an alarm for 10 to every morning. And when it goes off, they just stop for a, a minute and they pray. Uh, maybe something that would help you in praying for those who do not know and those who are out there going and that uh, God would raise up more and send them out. So how can I add to the worship? I can pray and I can send people. Uh, Romans 10, 15, how are they going to go if they're not sent? Um, uh, Philippians chapter 4. Um, looking here at um, uh, 15, uh, chapter 4, verse 15. This is Paul's statement to the, to the Philippians. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift, more than once, for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. Uh, We can give. And Paul places value on that, on those who, who helped him travel and be and do what he was doing and taking the gospel to people that hadn't heard. Here at Grace Church, we support 21 missionaries. Uh, we have seven families that gra- from Grace, from our church, our congregation, that are in full-time mission work today. Uh, the Byers, uh, Becca Holbrook, uh, Kratanix, uh, Liberas, the Maries, Drozeskis, and Carl and I. These are people out of our congregation that are in full-time work that you've sent. Um, we sent out people in short-term missions this summer. Uh, five went out on Operation Barnabas. So got Sarah Hughes and Phil Roberts were team leaders and team members, Anna Niwa, Caleb Hughes, and Jenna Weisenberger. We also sent Jamie All to Scotland, uh, Grace Martin to Peru, uh, Nathaniel Perry to uh, CAR, uh, Nancy Waddleau to Great Britain. And this past week, seven left for Cambodia. Uh, Simon and Brandon Goodyear, Rebecca and uh, Misha Wan, uh, Bethany Check, Lauren Clark, and Matthew Holbrook. Being prayer for them. See, as a church, we're involved. We do this. What else can we do? We can go. Paul told the Corinthians that um, we are new creations in Christ. Um, Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And these new things are from Christ, from God, who reconciled us to himself and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. See, it's not just the gifted evangelist. It's not just the gifted apostle. It's not just those who who have special ability, but all who have been reconciled in their relationship with God. He has given to, to all of us the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling others to Christ. And it goes on to say that we are the ambassadors of Christ. We're his representatives on earth. Any one of these seven families uh, working full-time in mission, that looks like going. Even participating in a short-term team is going. Like the six of us that went to Nicaragua just this past March, and now there's churches happening. Or a team in Cambodia right now going uh, and serving there in Battenbaum. Or the team that went seven years ago up among the Khmer Rouge, up on the Thai border. This is what it can look like. 
traveling in a lot of different kinds of vehicles. Uh, pretty nice looking pickup that uh, we traveled in that pickup for uh, eight hours in the back with a full of people. We traveled on motos across the bridges that we didn't know if it would hold us up to the other side. And we traveled and met all kinds of obstacles along the way that weren't typical in Southern California. And uh, we traveled to villages, interesting way out in the middle of nowhere with a TV antenna. And, and, we're, and understand what they're learning about America. That's scary. And, and we were there in the city of Lyme, up on the Thai border, just a little river right, right there across to Thailand. And we met this man, Kom, uh, in a white t-shirt. Kom uh, uh, would be what we would call the uh, chief of police. Um, uh, he had the rule of order uh, in the whole region around the city of Lyme. Um, he was a former Khmer Rouge officer. He was among those as a teenager who slaughtered millions of people. The whole Khmer Rouge province, that's where they settled. Now the people we met were the children of the, of the men that, that did most of the slaughter that was happening there. But we met Kom. And, um, and when we went to his, he's dressed casually here because we were at his house. But uh, we were there, we spent time with he and his family. And then we broke up in twos and we went out into the village uh, around. And, we, and I went with Sopa, uh, Cambodian, right next door uh, to, this, to meet with these people and, uh, and, and shared the gospel with them. Uh, and Sopa communicated some more. And, uh, and then the, the lady here in the, in the orange and yellow asked me, said, um, what about offerings? And I said, what about offerings? And she says, well, offerings to the spirits. And I said, and I asked, why would you offer give an offering to a spirit who wants to hurt you when you can offer your heart and your life to God who loves you and has authority over the spirits. And she chattered just like crazy. And this big smile on her face, I took the picture right after this conversation. She just said, I'm free, I'm free. I went next door and I told Comb about her neighbor, his neighbor, and he started to cry. And he says, that's my, that's my sister who came to faith. Who am I? I don't know Kamai. I don't know anything. I know Jesus. And see, that's true for all of us. We can go and make a difference in a, in a simple, very difficult sometimes way, but we can go make a difference. How about going local? Within two and a half miles of Grace Church, right here, there's 160,000 uh, people. Of that population, 50% are Hispanic, 40% are Anglo. 7% are Asian, 2% are Afro-American, 2% are Native American. And I say, what are we doing among the nations that live around us? Develop an interest in foreign food and see how many doors that opens up to you in sharing your faith with people who don't know. Or we can get involved with uh, the local colleges, the universities around us. Um, uh, it's a picture of Willie Lee and me. We got involved with Chapman University and their international food fair. Willie was barbecuing in an Indonesian uh, booth. It was there, and we had our hamburgers right next door to him. He needed our barbecue pit, and so we got acquainted in, in that time. And he signed up to, to go to a family for Thanksgiving, just to experience an American Thanksgiving uh, dinner, and went to the Holbrooks. Had a great time. You, you built relationship with him, continued to do things with Willie. By the end of January, Willie came to faith in Jesus. Now, he's from Indonesia. It's mostly an Islamic country, but, but he happened to be Buddhist. His whole family are Chinese. And, um, 
and he came to faith. And in this conversation, uh, Jim Atkins took this, and I want to, this is a trophy for me, because Willie was telling me, he said, Ed, I came to America to get a master's in business so I could go back and take over my father's business. But I'm going back with Jesus, and I want to introduce him to my family and to my nation. And all we did was barbecue hamburgers. See, engage yourself. What can happen? Three years ago, two years ago, Willie was, was back. He was instrumental in starting a school. It's got 200 students in it, recognized by the government. All the teachers are Christians. And they're able to live out and share their faith. And he's doing that because we had a barbecue. Well, no, we opened our mouth and we shared. See? You have opportunities to host international students that come to several universities, colleges here in Orange County. I encourage you to do that. This past year, we've, we've been a host to, to two gals from Indonesia, another island, um, and had opportunity to share with them in this time. There was another scene in heaven, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters, as the sound of uh, mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Father, I want to thank you uh, for your grace and your mercy to each one of us. And uh, Lord, I know you've spoken to us, and I pray that you'd help us not to uh, let this moment pass by. Uh, We come, Lord, and commit ourselves to uh, whatever that may mean for each one of us, Lord. We come and say, Lord, we want to be a part of what you're doing in this world. We want to do what you've called us to do. Uh, Open our eyes to the world around us. Uh, Open our eyes to the relationship that we have with you and the confidence we can have in you and (laughs) and all that we have that we can share. Lord, I just want to thank you that uh, you welcome us in what you're doing in this world, and we want to be responsive to you. We confess our self-centeredness and our, and our self-focus. And uh, Lord, we come to you. We yield ourselves to you, give ourselves to you. Uh, oh Lord, for the end, that we might be a part of adding to the worship. We give you thanks in Jesus. Amen. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus. Amen.